This is an ABC podcast. Welcome to Science Friction. I'm Natasha Mitchell. And today I've got a really beautiful, intimate story on the science of twins. It's over to Elizabeth Kulas, whose story it is to tell. Chris is a woman who lives in Melbourne. And in the late 1980s, she found out she was pregnant for the second time. So it was a big shock, firstly, that I was pregnant. And then then from about 10 to sort of 14 weeks, I put on an enormous amount of weight. I felt well. I was always hungry. And at this stage had gone to see my lovely obstetrician. And he says it's most likely having a multiple birth. And of course, my instant reaction was, ah, oh, that would be lovely, but I don't have any twins in my family. And he kind of smiled and said, you know, have you ever thought it has to start somewhere? <laughs> and I was like, mm, not really, not with me. But scans soon confirmed that it would be starting with her. Chris was having twins. So I, I continued to have a really healthy appetite through the pregnancy and so continued to grow fairly big. Now, you know, I'm barely five foot one. So I felt about as... Um, wide as I did tall at some stages, though I'm sure I wasn't five foot in diameter, but felt close. In the third trimester, Chris is scanned weekly to check the twins' progress. She's told week after week that she's carrying twin boys, but on one scan, they say there's an outside chance that one of the babies might be female. Just shy of 36 weeks, Chris goes into labour. I was able to deliver the first baby, which was which was pretty quick and uncomplicated. And they quickly showed me and they said, here's your baby girl. And I was like, baby girl, are you sure? Because <laughs> at this stage, I still couldn't see over my belly and she was still at the other end of the, the table. And they all laughed. We think we know how to sex a baby. Yeah, she's a girl. So that was great. Twin two's delivery is longer, more complicated. And the baby is whisked off right after birth. Ten agonising minutes pass for Chris before she gets an update. So a nurse comes in and says, twin two's doing fine, great relief. And I said, when would I be able to hold him? And they said, hold him. And they were like, ah, oh. and it was a nurse that said to me, I'm so sorry, but baby two's a girl as well. At which stage, the first thing I said is, but we haven't got a name for her. <laughs> In the days that followed, while a name was still being decided on, Chris was told a few foundational facts about her twin daughters. All the medical professionals that seemed to come through would say to me, but it's highly unlikely they're identical twins because there were two amniotic sacs and two placentas. And I was told there was a high chance, like one in 10, that they would have multiple births themselves when they had children and that if the girls were identical, their chances of having a multiple birth was greater again, so one in three. These were assertions that Chris carried, and she passed them on to her daughters as they grew. But the thing is that in recent years, new research has proven that none of those assertions hold true. And I know because I was one of those twins. I am twin too, a difficult one. Chris is my mum. Today on the show, what have we learned about twins in recent years and what questions are scientists still trying to answer? Any clue to the formation of identical twins was uh, a breakthrough. And if you're listening and you're not a twin, 
Maybe you were at some point in your development. So every twin born, there's another nine singletons out there that never knew they were a twin. There could be a way to test for that very soon. Ready, settle in. <laughs> branded microphone. It's a nice touch, isn't it? <laughs> this is my sister, Jen. She's twin one. And hopefully my voice is not too croaky. Jen's at the tail end of a cold, hence the croaky voice. And when Jen and I were kids, we were part of a twin research study. Do you have any particular memories of our time in the twin study? My, my most distinctive memory of the twin study is standing next to mum and having the, the dentist or the dental researcher sticking his hands in my mouth and being fascinated by us. I think maybe the, one of the interesting things about that moment was realising, hang on, maybe this is something unique. Maybe being a twin is something unique. We were six when we first attended an in-person clinic for the twin study. We travelled to a grand old medical building on the fringes of Melbourne's CBD. I remember a huge staircase and the polished floors and being told that we were going to have a cheek swab taken. Oh yes, I remember being very scared that the cheek swab was going to hurt and then the anticlimax when it was a cheek swab and it was totally fine. It was like vaguely uncomfortable for, you know, a millisecond. Jen and I were part of a study being run by the University of Adelaide, looking at the genes, teeth and faces of Australian twins. The cheek swab was taken for a zygosity test to confirm whether we were fraternal or identical. Fraternal twins are the result of two eggs being fertilised by two separate sperm. Fraternal twins share about the same amount of DNA as single-born siblings, or singletons, as they're known in the twin research world. Identical twins are the result of a single fertilised egg that splits to create two embryos, so their genetic profile is a much closer match. Jen and I were never dressed the same, and we were always placed in separate classes at school, but beside our closest family and friends, just about everyone else struggled to tell us apart. And a few months after that cheek swab, around the time we turned seven, the results came in. Despite what our mother had been told when we were born, Jen and I were identical. Our zygosity story turns out it's actually quite a common one among twins. It's something researcher Jeff Craig first encountered about 10 years ago at a twins festival in Melbourne. Yes, you heard me. That's absolutely a thing. And at this festival, Jeff and his team were offering free zygosity tests. Um, we put an advertisement just one week before the festival on the Twins Research Australia website. We think, oh, we might get a handful. And we opened the doors after we'd set up at Coffee Racecourse and there was like a tsunami of <laughs> parents and their pushies just queuing up a bit, uh, to find out the truth. Jeff Craig is a professor of epigenetics and cell biology at Deakin University School of Medicine. He's also the deputy director of Twins Research Australia. And Jeff was surprised at what they discovered next. Up to one third of those twins were either misinformed or just simply didn't know about their, their own identity, whether they're identical or fraternal. So that's, that's quite a lot. So I'm not alone in, in being late to find that out. Yes, it, it's, there's many, um, many twins. I think our oldest twins who found out were in their 80s. Oh, wow. And so we realised that there were myths going around, such as if twins each had their own placenta, they must be fraternal. And we now know that it's not necessarily that way. 
One third of identical twins also have their own placenta. The remaining two thirds share a placenta. And I guess one of the other myths was that identical twins must be identical in every way, <laughs> including personalities, teeth, etc. Um, and that's not the case. Identical twins can be physically and behaviorally different as well. I think those were the main two myths. The study of twins has a long and at times checkered history. Sir Francis Galton, a distant cousin of Darwin, was among the first to recognise the research potential of twins. A prominent figure of Victorian science, his work in the late 19th century used twins to explore the influences of heredity and environment, paving the way for the debate over nature and nurture. Into the genetic era, researchers continued to work with twins as a kind of naturally occurring experiment. The first kind of research was asking whether a condition was more influenced by genes or environment. And even though now we know it's always genes and environment, the knowledge of genetics and knowledge of environment has been important. For example, it was suspected that smoking increased the risk of bone fracture. Researchers knew there were many things that could influence the risk of bone fracture. So in an early Australian twin study, they started recruiting identical twin pairs where over a period of years, one of the twins smoked and the other didn't. And so that particular type of model, same genetics but different environment, was very informative in this case. It said there was a causative link between smoking and bone density and therefore they could conclude that smoking lowers bone density and is more likely to lead to osteoporosis and fractures because they took that genetic component away and looked only at that environment. Even before Jen and I had received our zygosity test result, we'd been contributing to our twin study in another way, by collecting our baby teeth. We were each given a small jar, clear plastic with a yellow lid, the kind used to take pathology samples, and inside was a little slip of paper showing two neat semicircles of teeth sketched in a line drawing. And do you remember collecting our teeth for the study? <laughs> I do remember collecting the teeth, and now... I look back on it because you'd keep your teeth for the tooth fairy anyway. I think I just thought that this strange little container with the yellow lid was, was just an extension. It was like a little tooth vault. Anytime either of us lost a tooth, we were asked to store it in a little tooth vault and to write the date that it had fallen out next to the corresponding tooth on the diagram. By the way, we asked the tooth fairy to please respect science and leave the coins, but also leave the teeth. We did this over a series of years, collecting, dating, storing the teeth away. And soon, a pattern emerged. Not long before finding out, I can remember, you know, you losing yet another baby tooth and um, us losing those teeth within a day of each other. And they're happening on opposite sides of our mouth. Like, there was these kind of breadcrumbs that we are linked in some, you know, quite extraordinary way. And this kept happening, our teeth following the same eerie pattern over and again. Jen would lose a tooth on the right side of her mouth, and somewhere between a day and two weeks later, I would lose the same tooth, but on the left side of my mouth. And as we started learning to write and developing our fine motor skills, other signals became clear. Jen was predominantly left-handed, where I almost always worked on the right. And somewhere in those data-collecting years, we were told this likely had meaning. Jen and I were mirror twins. 
when we look in the mirror and a single to well we when i look in the mirror um we we see ourselves you know we can identify oh that's my left side that's the mirror of it well with twins if it's like the mirror's not there and twins are looking at each other and it's there's a lot of physical features for, such as birthmarks and hair whirls etc and even internally there's been some with the, with the organ positions etc so it's good kind of an experiment for twins to do if they haven't done that to to see how similar they are on the on the opposite sides science doesn't know very much about mirror twins identifying them is actually quite subjective there's no official diagnostic criteria and for this reason mirror twins have often been seen as a messy group in terms of research because mirrored traits aren't consistent across twin pairs, reproducible research is difficult, bordering on the impossible. Uh, we really don't know m- much about it at all. We know it happens in about around one in four identical twins, and everything else is guesswork. We assume it's because when the identical twin split is maybe just after the time where the genes that determine left and right start being switched on, but we just we can't prove that. I'm Elizabeth Coolass, and I am an identical twin. I'm also a mirror twin. And that's what we're talking about today on Science Friction with Jeff Craig. He's a professor of epigenetics at Deakin University, and he's a twin researcher. And Jeff tells me that the rate of identical twinning sits at around 1 in 250 births, and it's more or less consistent around the world. For fraternal twins, that rate varies widely, from 1 in 200 births right up to 1 in every 20 births in some parts of the world. And in recent years, researchers have learnt a huge amount about the biological origins of fraternal twins. This has been, I think, some of the more exciting research that's come through. About um, five years ago, there was some research came from um, genetic studies comparing families with higher proportions of fraternal twins. And what came out of that are genes associated with fertility, um, and fertility hormones. So it's what it comes down to is that some um, women are more likely to produce two eggs at the same time instead of one egg every month. Not all the time, but more than average. And there's a number of factors that can influence this. And some even think that uh, that diet in some African countries like you know, it's been proposed that high diet in, in yams in some African countries may be an environmental component that may increase fertility and um, ovulating two eggs. And so there's been some evidence to back that up, that yes, fraternal twins uh, often run in families for that reason. But whether identical twinning is a heritable trait, that's proving a much harder question to answer. Though it's not stopping some from trying. Well, we first off, I think we know that uh, it is very rare to find um, clusters of identical twins. And by clusters, I mean extended families with at least, say, three to four pairs of identical twins in the family. But really, it is it is rare. And, and the genetics that we're talking about probably is not something that occurs very commonly. And Jeff, I hear that there is a twin hunter. Now, he is interested in whether there are unique families around the world where this is happening. What does he get up to? Yes, um, the the researcher's name is Bruno Reversade. He's a developmental biologist. He tries to understand what happens very early on when we develop. He looks at animal studies and he 
also looks for remote communities um, which have a much higher incidence of identical twins, which would imply that that particular community have uh, some genes that code for something that affects early development and causes splitting. And so he's still on that long quest, and I think he's found two remote communities. What he does is goes in, gets permission to collect cheek swabs, and then reads sequences to genome and looks very carefully to see what the differences are between these communities and everyone else. Um, and he's got clues so far, but it really hasn't come out and said, yes, I found I found the gene. Or that there's never there's never ever one gene for anything, but I found a gene that, that contributes to to twinning. So it's ongoing research. But I think I, I love the idea of having the license license to <laughs> tour the world looking for remote communities. I've always wanted an excuse to do that. Professional twin hunter. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. He's always on the lookout. He said, you know, that criteria of at least three or four pairs of identical twins, he said he'll, you know, he'll he'll fly out and take cheek swabs if he finds more families like that. So far, I haven't found any through Twins Research Australia, but you never know, they may be out there. Another statement that I'd heard all my life as an identical twin was that my sister and I were a complete DNA match. So I asked Jeff about this, and he tells me that our understanding of that too has changed in recent years. Research into genetic difference in twins has been, we're being drip-fed back the last 10 years in the genetic era, but only when we've been able to sequence all three billion base pairs of our genetics has the result been coming through. And a, a big study last year found that the average um, identical twin pair, it's actually different in about probably 15 locations in the genome. That's out of three billion, you say? Yeah, out of three billion. So <laughs> okay. it's, not, it's not a lot. Um and that can be anywhere between zero differences and a few hundred differences. Now, the big question is where those are. Much of our genome is um, either junk or antiques, depending on your, on your academic point of view. There's very little that actually codes for anything. However, it would be great for, for such a study to focus on identical twins and say, well, where are these, um, you know, these 15 genetic differences? And are there any examples where researchers had found that it did code for something and and led researchers in an interesting direction? Yeah, I think in that case, there was a, a single genetic change that was in a coding region, an important region of a gene. And it was in a gene that was known uh, to cause epilepsy in, in singletons. So, yes, in this case, a one mis- genetic mistake in a known epilepsy gene was shown to cause epilepsy in one twin of a pair. But despite all these recent discoveries, there remains a core mystery at the centre of twin research that continues to confound science. It's probably the most fundamental question when it comes to identical twins. Just how and why does a fertilised egg split in two? I find the very idea of the splitting process to be quite miraculous yes and it is the only it's so miraculous that the only other mammal to uh, to have identical twins um, is the nine-banded armadillo they actually have identical quads and octuplets nobody knows why we have this um, affiliation with with armadillo with armadillos but it is is actually quite rare in, in in the mammalian world but no one's ever seen a human twin split 
But then a team in the Netherlands made an incredible discovery about identical twins. It had been a desert of research for many years, and just any clue to the formation of identical twins was, you know, a, a breakthrough. It was an international study. Didn't look at genetics, but they looked at epigenetics. Basically, these these are the, the dimmer switches that act on top of the genes to, to turn them off and on or, or up and down. And they compared epigenetics from about 3,000 twins, some of which were identical, others fraternal, and they also um, included some singletons in there. So they were saying, what is this molecular event that makes identical twins special? The researchers hypothesised that the splitting event, which leads to identical twins, it could be embedded in the body's cellular memory. Every time a cell divides, the splitting would be remembered, so to speak. Not in the DNA sequence itself, but as a series of epigenetic chemical markers along the genome. And their hypothesis? It proved true. Yes, they found that there was a difference in, in a few hundred locations around the genome that made identical twins different from fraternal twins and from singletons. So something on top of the genes was acting as a memory of splitting. As if there was sort of a signature in the epigenetics of identical twins. Yes, yes. And they, in their own study, they actually had the idea, oh, could we do a, a signature test of identical twins? And they showed through some clever mathematics that within their sample, that you could roughly estimate where someone was identical or fraternal or not. We still don't know if this epigenetic signature of identical twins is a cause or a consequence of the egg-splitting event. But these are the questions that researchers are now beginning to ask. And this test they've created, it wouldn't just apply to twins. Because it's possible that anyone could have been an identical twin at some point in their development. We think that up to nine-tenths of twin pregnancies, in nine out of ten cases, one of the twins disappears in early development. This is so-called vanishing twin syndrome. The the... Yes, it's called vanishing twin syndrome. And it's, yeah, it's it's difficult to actually put a, put a figure, but the best estimate at the moment is this happens in nine out of 10 twin pregnancies, identical twin pregnancies, which means for every twin born, there's another nine singletons out there that never knew they were a twin. So people like me who used to have dreams that there was another another me in the bed lying beside him. When I was in childhood, I used to have this recurring dream. I could test, yeah, I could test this idea that maybe it was all just weird uh, dreams or maybe I had a distant memory that I shared the womb with a twin. So if I took such a test and if it was proven to work, then I could test that my own hypothesis that I was con- after conception I was part of an identical twin. I think it would be academically interesting to just know how many vanished uh, co-twins there are out there. While Jeff Craig says that tests like this one, which involve multiple genes, are never 100% accurate, he thinks that a test of decent quality could be available to the public within five to ten years. And it's not just personal or academic interest at stake here. There could be some medical implications too. We know that um, some... Developmental disorders such as cerebral palsy um, are higher risk of cerebral palsy if you're a twin. 
So in the future, if there's a reliable test for identical twinning, it could be something that's done at birth to tell um, whether you're at higher risk for a condition like cerebral palsy. And finally, um, Dr. Craig, you know, this question of the splitting that's at the core of what makes and creates identical twins, do you think there'll be more research into this area? Is there at least a current of interest that will mean it's something that researchers continue to look at? Yes, I've been part of discussions on this and it is the researchers are scratching their heads and they're they're taking input from from different researchers and say, what should we do next? What's What's our next plan? And so Definitely, there's definitely a momentum now. And as it's been published, there'll be other twin researchers around the world with, with their own ideas. Uh, I guess everyone, everyone likes a good mystery. Um, <laughs> it's great to have a long-standing mystery slowly unraveled. And a thanks to Jeff Craig, Professor of Epigenetics and Cell Biology at Deakin University School of Medicine. Jeff's also the Deputy Director of Twins Research Australia, and you can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Chromo. That's Chromo, C-H-R-O-M-O. Jeff and Twins Research Australia are always looking for twins interested in joining upcoming twin studies, and you can find out more at uh, twins.org.au. Big thanks to reporter Elizabeth Coolass and family for sharing their wonderful story. I'm Natasha Mitchell. You can find me on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. And thanks to co-producer Lisa Needham. Catch you next show. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.